Today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farrakh. He returned Israel to the Word of God. It was taught and declared throughout the land. You think about those times in Scripture where you read that the Word of God was rare in the land. I think that could be said of the United States today, that the Word of God is rare in the land. And sadly, I'll even take it a step further and say that it could also be said that the Word of God is rare in the church today. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Second Chronicles. King Jehoshaphat returned his nation to the scriptures and thus secured peace and prosperity for it. Sadly, in our country today, we see just the opposite. Lawlessness, poverty, and a multitude of other social ills choke the life and freedom from a once great nation whose leaders have abandoned God's word. Today, Pastor J.D. asks, who then will proclaim the truth? Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of this broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now, here's Pastor J.D. with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. Let's get into our study of God's Word tonight. On Thursday nights, we're going through Second Chronicles chapter by chapter and uh, verse by verse. So, all right, let's jump in. Chapter 17, verse 1. Then Jehoshaphat, his son, reigned in his place and strengthened himself against Israel. And he placed troops in all the fortified cities of Judah and set garrisons in the land of Judah and in the cities of Ephraim, which Asa his father had taken. Now the Lord was with Jehoshaphat. And here's why. Because he walked in the former ways of his father David. He did not seek the Baals, but sought the God of his father and walked in his commandments and not according to the acts of Israel. So the chapter begins by introducing us to yet another good king, one of only nine good kings of Israel, who we're told did right in the sight of the Lord. And actually this uh, Jehoshaphat king, uh, we were first introduced to him back in our study through First Kings chapter 22. It's interesting to note that he was the son of another good king, King Asa, both of whom, we're told, walked in the ways of David. And what's interesting about this is that David was still considered the greatest king Israel had ever had. And this in spite of his adultery and his murder, both capital crimes that under the law were punishable by death. Charles Spurgeon had this to say about it. He said, have you ever noticed the career of David? What a happy life David's was up to one point. But that hour when he walked on the roof of his house and saw Bathsheba and gave way to his unholy desires, put an end to the happy days of David. You recognize him as the same man, but his voice is broken. His music is deep bass. He cannot reach high notes of the scale. From the hour in which he sinned, he began to sorrow more and more. So will it be with us 
if we are not watchful. Verse 5, Therefore the Lord established the kingdom in his hand, and all Judah gave presents to Jehoshaphat, and he had riches and honor in abundance. And, very interesting verse 6, his heart took delight in the ways of the Lord. Moreover, he removed the high places and wooden images from Judah. Also in the third year of his reign, he sent his leaders, Ben-Hail, Obadiah, Zechariah, Nathanael, and Micaiah, to teach in the cities of Judah. And with him he sent Levites, Shemaiah, Nathaniah, Zebadiah, Asahel, Shemaramath, Jehanathan, Adonijah, how am I doing on these, by the way, <laughs> Tobijah, and Tabodonijah, the Levites, and with them Elishama and Jehoram, the priests. So verse 9, they taught in Judah and had the book of the law of the Lord with them. They went throughout all the cities of Judah and taught the people. And the fear of the Lord fell on all the kingdoms of the lands that were around Judah, so that they did not make war against Jehoshaphat. So far, so good. Yeah. So here we're told that God had established the kingdom under Jehoshaphat and blessed his reign with an abundance of both prosperity and peace. But, and there is a but, (laughs) the question becomes, what is it that he did to please the Lord in such a way that this abundant blessing would come as a result. I see two things that he did. First, he delighted himself in the ways of the Lord. He delighted in the Lord. And so much so that he removed the high places and the wooden images from Judah. To me, this is Psalm 37 verse 4. Actually, Psalm 37 is one of my favorite psalms in all the Bible. But David writes, verse 4, delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. This is sort of what Jesus said in Matthew 6.33, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. In other words, when we first and foremost delight in the Lord and seek the Lord, the Lord will give us the desires of our heart. All of these desires will be added unto us, as it were. It's important to understand, though, that this does not mean that whatever we desire, we get just so long as we delight our ways, delight in the Lord's ways, delight ourselves in the Lord. Here's what I'm learning in my walk with the Lord. The Lord first puts the desire on your heart. And then in so doing, he makes that desire a delight that you delight in. And then when you delight in that desire that he first gave you, then he fulfills that desire. It's not a selfish desire. It's not that which we desire for ourselves. It's that which God desires for us. And he puts that desire in our hearts, and then he gives us the desire of our hearts The second thing that I see Jehoshaphat doing was that, and this is huge, he returned Israel to the Word of God. It was taught and declared throughout the land. 
You think about those times in Scripture where you read that the Word of God was rare in the land. I think that could be said of the United States today, that the Word of God is rare in the land. And sadly, I'll even take it a step further and say that it could also be said that the Word of God is rare in the church today. Many a church does not preach and teach the Word of God. Oh, they'll talk about the Bible. They'll refer to the Bible. They'll quote from the Bible, but they don't teach the Bible. There's just enough in there to kind of be scriptural, but they don't teach the Word. And what I see Jehoshaphat doing here is he returned Israel to the Word of God. And this alone brought the blessing of God by virtue of how the Word of God can transform the life of an individual and even the life of a nation. When we get into the Word of God, it's been said, the Word of God gets into us, and when it does, it changes us from the inside out. G. Campbell Morgan said it this way, No better service can be rendered to the nation than that of proclaiming the word of Jehovah to the people in cities, towns, villages, and hamlets. By such proclamation, the heart of the people may be turned to Jehovah, and so he be enabled to do for them all that is in his heart. I think that the church in large part today is being robbed of perhaps the greatest and grandest blessing that comes from knowing the Word of God and the God of the Word. And that's what happens when you know the Word. You know the Word of God, and in so doing, you know the God of the Word. There's one more thing I want to point out here, and it has to do with what we're told in verse 10 about the peace that came. Notice that we're told that as a result of the fear of the Lord falling on all the kingdoms of the lands that were around Judah, that they would not wage war against Judah. Now why do I point this out? Because it speaks to a powerful biblical principle as it relates to pleasing the Lord in all of our ways. This is Proverbs 16.7. It says this, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Now this is one of those proverbs that you can kind of flip around on the other side. And you can say it this way and see it this way. If a man's ways please the Lord so much that he can make his enemies to be at peace with him, then does that mean that if a man's ways are not pleasing to the Lord, that he can make his enemies make war with him? Yes. Ask Israel. How many times in the history of Israel did God use an enemy nation to chastise his people, to take captive his people, that they would repent and return to the Lord? Because they had so displeased the Lord. And this is what the Lord would do. He would use the enemies as the instrument in his hand to mete out just judgment on his people. 
And this sort of ties into Proverbs 14.34. This particular proverb makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up. Whatever's left back there, I don't know. But (laughs) listen to this. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. You'll forgive my constantly and repeatedly referencing the United States of America, but think about that. Again, let's flip it over to the other side. If righteousness exalts a nation, does that mean that unrighteousness will bring judgment on a nation? Absolutely. Absolutely. I was talking with a brother before the Bible study tonight. Very interesting. It's, um, and I was thinking about this as it relates to the restrainer in Second Thessalonians we're told about. How that the restrainer restrains. Now, who or what is the restrainer? Well, I'm of the belief that the restrainer is the Holy Spirit vis-a-vis the church. Now, that's not to say that when the restrainer is removed by way of the rapture of the church, that the Holy Spirit is removed as well. But what it does say is that we as God's people are the salt and the light. And as long as we're still here, we are a restraining force against evil. Just as salt preserves from the rottenness, and just as light keeps at bay the darkness. But once you remove the restraining force, the salt that preserves, the light that brings light in the midst of darkness, then there's just nothing but lawlessness. And I really believe that the only thing that is keeping the hand of God's judgment from this nation is the church. We're still here. I think of Lot. And Abraham is negotiating with God, basically. God, please, would you judge Sodom and Gomorrah if there are 50 righteous? No, I would not if there were 50 righteous. Problem was, there wasn't 50 righteous. There wasn't 20 righteous. There wasn't 10 righteous. There wasn't even five righteous. And notice that The judgment of God did not come in the form of the fire and brimstone that rained down on Sodom and Gomorrah until Lot was removed. And once he, as the restrainer, if you please, was removed, then judgment came. And that is the only thing that is keeping the judgment of God, not just on this nation, but on the entire world because of the ways of this world, this Christ-rejecting world. Verse 11, also some of the Philistines brought Jehoshaphat presents, and the Philistines brought Jehoshaphat presents? Talk about the fear of the Lord coming over the land of all of the surrounding peoples. They brought him presents and silver as tribute, and the Arabians, that's the Arabs, (laughs) my people, (laughs) brought him flocks, 7,700 rams, that's a lot of rams, and 7,700 male goats, 
So verse 12, Jehoshaphat became increasingly powerful, and he built fortresses and stored cities in Judah. He had much property in the cities of Judah, and the men of war, mighty men of valor, were in Jerusalem. These, verse 14, are their numbers, according to their fathers' houses of Judah, the captains of thousands, Adna the captain, and with him 300,000 mighty men of valor. And next to him was Jehanahan the captain, and with him 280,000. And next to him was Amasiah the son of Zikri, listen to this, who willingly offered himself to the Lord. Hang on to that, I want to come back to that. And with him, 200,000 men armed with bow and shield. And next to him was Jehazabad, and with him 180,000 prepared for war. These served the king. Besides those, the king put in the fortified cities throughout all Judah. So the chapter ends with this mention of this Amasiah, who we're told willingly offered himself to the Lord, and with him were 200,000 mighty men. This is the only thing we know about this man, and it seems that God deemed it necessary to include this detail in Scripture. We're told that, sort of almost parenthetically, God wants us to know this detail about this man, that he willingly offered himself to the Lord. I think that there's something to be said about any man or woman who willingly offers themselves to the Lord, that that would be the the characteristic that you would be known as. Someone would look at you and by name point out that you were one who willingly and even gladly Surrender yourself completely in offering yourself to the Lord. Again, I like what Spurgeon had to say about Amasiah. He says, Amasiah is a man of whom we do not know anything beyond this. He willingly offered himself unto the Lord. There must have been a turning point in his career, a time when first he knew the grace of God, which wrought such a change in him. There must have been a waking up to the feeling that God deserved his love and his life. This is a man who, it would seem, was so changed by the power of God in his life that he would willingly respond in this way. Chapter 18, verse 1, Jehoshaphat had riches and honor in abundance, and by marriage he allied himself with Ahab. After some years he went down to visit Ahab in Samaria. This is going to be a problem. (laughs) And Ahab killed sheep and oxen in abundance for him and the people who were with him, and persuaded him to go up with him to Ramoth-Gilead. So verse 3, Ahab king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat king of Judah, Will you go with me against Ramoth-Gilead? And he answered him, and this is sad, (laughs) I am as you are, and my people as your people. Oh no, (laughs) Jehoshaphat, what are you saying? What are you doing? You are not as Ahab is, 
And your people are not as Ahab's people are. And then he says this in response to Ahab, we will be with you in war. And I want you to notice verse 4, because it's like right after he agrees to ally with Ahab, he says also, Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, please inquire for the word of the Lord today. Did you catch that? It's kind of like, yes, we'll go. Wait, maybe we should pray about this. <laughs> maybe we should inquire of the Lord concerning this. I think he's already starting to have second thoughts, and rightfully so. Well, as we're about to see, things are about to go very wrong for this King Jehoshaphat, and it will be as a result of what he does here by visiting this evil King Ahab. Do you remember this man from our previous studies in the book of Kings? You know what we, we know about this Ahab? He was the most evil, more evil than any evil king in the history of Israel. He was more exceedingly evil than those kings. He was the most evil king in Israel's history. And some suggest that it was because of his wife who was even more evil than he. Her name, oh you know her, Jezebel. Just the, the sound of that name, <laughs> right? Jezebel. I don't know of any parent who has ever named their daughter Jezebel. Do you? I'm just asking. I'm just curious. I was thinking about this the other day. If a woman ever came up to me and said, introduced herself, said, hi, my name is Jezebel, I, w I don't know what my, my response would be. No, you are? Your parents are really mean. <laughs> or maybe you're really mean. That's why they named you that. I don't know. Anyway, that's an evil name. <laughs> but I would argue that she was infinitely more evil than her husband, which to me is why such evil ensued under his reign. F.B. Meyer had some interesting insight into this. He says of Ahab, he was a weak man, the tool of a crafty, unscrupulous, and cruel woman. And some of the worst crimes that have ever been committed have been wrought by weak men at the instigation of worse, but stronger spirits than themselves. This has been called and referred to as the Jezebel spirit. Simply put, it was a demonic spirit. Pastor J.D.'s message today from the book of Second Chronicles detailed more interesting events in the lives of the people of Israel. We hope you've learned more about God and His plans for the world through this teaching. Pastor J.D. will continue his verse-by-verse -verse study on the next edition of In Spirit and Truth. There are so many ways to stay connected these days, and we'd like to share with you how you can find In Spirit and Truth wherever you are. Our website has great information about this ministry, previous messages from Pastor J.D., and links to subscribe to our podcast or download our mobile apps. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and of course you can always send us an email on our contact page. 
All of that can be found at InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com. That website, again, is InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com. If you're unsure about what it means to be a Christian, we'd very much like to encourage you to visit this website and click on New Believers at the top of the page. Take a moment and read about who Jesus is and why you need Him so desperately and how you too can have a personal relationship with Jesus. If you're ready to make that commitment, we're so excited for you. Send us an email and let us know how we can pray with you on your new faith journey. Well, that brings us to the end of our time today. Make a note of our place in Second Chronicles and plan to join us on the next edition of In Spirit and Truth as Pastor J.D. continues digging deeper into this Old Testament book. Keeping me right with the always Holding me true to 